This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 106. I got to hang out with Dr. Kappa, Brianna Kappa. I've been following her over on Instagram for a little bit. South Bay Mommy and Me is her handle. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll know I have shared her stuff. You might be following her too. Uh, She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I brought her on to talk about transitioning a family to add another sibling. We were talking in this episode about sibling dynamics and the emotions of a parent as you're adding another sibling, leading up to it, through the process, etc. What to expect from a tiny human when you add someone new to their life, like a new sibling. We even got in in this episode to like sibling dynamics in general and what we can expect from siblings and also how to rewrite narratives like, oh, siblings just fight. It's a part of being a sibling. I could have gotten nerdy with her for a long time. She's so much fun to talk with and hang out with. And I'm really excited to share this episode with you guys. Before we dive in, you guys, our mama's getaway weekend in San Diego sold out. You guys, four months in advance, way faster than we anticipated. And so I reached out to our venue and they moved our room. We're adding 10 more spots. So many of you reached out saying that you were really hoping to come and you didn't get a spot. And so we opened it up for 10 more spots. If you want to join our Mama's Getaway Weekend for 2020, it's in April in Carlsbad, California. Head over to mamasgetawayweekend.com to get more info. All right, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey everyone, welcome to Voices of Your Village. Today I am here with Brianna. 
Yes. Hi, everybody. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Can you tell our folks a little bit about who you are and what your background is? Totally. Um, So my name is Brianna Kappa. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and an infant family early childhood mental health specialist. Totally a mouthful. I have a private practice in Redondo Beach where I work exclusively with new moms and infants and toddlers and preschoolers um, doing attachment-based play therapy. Um, And then I have a center for new moms where I do mommy and me classes for infants and toddlers. And we have lots of great education, lots of fun and lots of support. Um, I'm glad to be here with your village. And it's definitely something that I am doing in my little community is building a village of mindful, conscious um, women and mothers who are trying to raise whole, healthy children. That's amazing. Yeah, we're here for the village, man. It sure takes one. Yeah, it does. (laughs) And our village is really a hodgepodge of folks. We have folks who don't have kids who are teachers or early childhood professionals. Um, Yeah, speech language pathologists, OTs, the whole gamut, moms, dads, grandparents. Um, I actually ran into a woman recently and she was like, oh my gosh, she was in her maybe 60s. She was like, oh my gosh, my daughter sent me this podcast and your voice just sounded so familiar. We were like in the grocery store. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. She's like in her 60s, but she's like, I take care of her kids sometimes and she wanted to be on the same page about this thing. I was like, that's awesome. Oh wow. I love that. That's awesome. So today, speaking of moms, we got a question in our Facebook group about, Mm -hmm. and this woman was talking about how she is looking to like have another kid mm-hmm. and, and and grow her family. She is a solo kiddo right now, a singleton. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I just, she was like, I'm not even like there yet. We're not even trying yet. And just the thought of splitting my time, she was like, mm-hmm. I, I feel guilty already that like I would be taking my time away from my kiddo now. Yeah. Uh, can you speak mm-hmm. to that a bit? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's, a really common experience actually feeling like um, now we have to share our, not only our time, but our love and our attention and our affection. And especially when we have one baby and we're hoping to add another one, there's this real feeling that like, there's just no way I could ever love another person as much as I love this baby. And I want to speak to that because you know, your first, like you will love your first, like so much, but when you have your second child, it does your heart. It's, it's like your heart, you grow another heart and you're, you are able to love that child. And it's, it's kind of amazing the way the oxytocin just starts flowing again. And you really get connected to this child over time, you know? And, and I also think just the idea of having another child brings up a lot of stress because you get into the flow of having one child. And after you get through that first year and you're like, you start kind of cruising, right? I don't know if I, about you. That's, that was my experience. I just kind of started cruising and it kind of felt, it kind of felt kind of easy. And then just the, this idea of adding in another child of like, oh my gosh, that's going to put such a wedge in this routine that we have. And will we be, ever be able to get to another place of cruising? So I just want to honor that experience of feeling, you know, 
feeling guilty and, and unsure about it. I think that's just so common, right? Yeah, no, I think absolutely. And it's hard. I think even when you're pregnant with your first, it's hard to imagine loving a human. You can't imagine until that human is there, like the yeah. amount of love that I think you'll fully feel. But also with this, I think this idea that we're taking away from the first child when we yeah. add a sibling is an interesting concept. Let's chat about that. Yeah, I think because, you know, the reality of it is, is that we won't have as much time to dedicate to that other, to, to our, to our older child. I mean, even, and it starts to happen at the tail end of pregnancy, right? Like you're just too big. You can't bend over and give the kiddo a bath. You're by the, by the seven months pregnant, you're so exhausted, you know, you can, you're barely making it to bedtime. And so whoever is helping you raise your child is, you know, kicking it up a notch and being a little bit more hands-on. So I think that that feeling of like, gosh, I, I'm just not going to be able to give my full self to my child. It starts to, it starts to rev up throughout pregnancy and then into that first year. I think where we can make a mental shift and where we can be really where we can actually really help ourselves out is thinking that all of these things that I'm talking about, they come to pass. They don't come to stay. Eventually, we do find a rhythm that works really well for us. And eventually, our child, once the new child comes in, that child sees their role as shifted. They no longer see themselves as, a, as the only child. They're now learning how to integrate into becoming a family of four or five or six or however many kiddos we are we're blessed with. And so, yeah, I don't know. Does that, does that speak to what you were kind of talking yeah, about? Yeah, totally. I'm, so I'm one of five kiddos. Mm-hmm. One and, of four over here. Oh, hey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my husband is an only child. Actually, mm. on our first date, I said, oh, I don't date only children. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out I only marry them. Um, <laughs> I was like, you're not going to get any of this. Um, <laughs> but he now actually like recently we were chatting about this and he was like oh man like I didn't feel like as a kiddo he didn't feel like he like desired another sibling or that there was something he was missing out on he didn't feel that he's like but now as an adult seeing you and your siblings and just the like responsibility for my parents like mine is shared between five people and his Mm -hmm. is is him and Mm -hmm. and they're divorced and remarried and so now we have four parents that we are solely responsible for and uh just like comparing i guess the differences and that there isn't one right way there were things that i vent about of uh from being one of five and there are things that he vents about being an only child totally Uh, but that there isn't i don't think it's that you're necessarily taking away from this other kid it's just a different life Uh, oh yeah absolutely yeah I completely agree. Yeah, we're not I I when I when I said that I meant like our time totally. and and our energy. We just we just won't have as much to give to to that child and I think that's something that we need to reconcile and find a way to accept and see it as just part of the process and not a reflection of our abilities as a parent or, and not even a reflection of our love for any of our children. It's just simply the process that we are embarking upon, you know? Totally. And that just like shift. I interviewed my mom for this podcast oh, and, nice. uh, it, oh my gosh, it was one of my 
like personally one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. And uh, she's not a gal who talks about things or feelings mm-hmm. or whatever very openly. Mm-hmm. So it was like a really nice experience for me. But in it, I asked her about, she had her first kid when she was 19 mm-hmm. and her second kid 18 months later. And then mm-hmm. two years later, her third mm-hmm. and asking her about like, how was that to go from Eric to Brian in 18 months and you're 21 years old and you have two kids that are 18 months apart. And how was that shift for you, mom? Mm -hmm. Like, was it hard to transition from Eric to then adding? And she was like, oh, she was like, honestly, no. Like for me, it was really just viewing Eric's role differently, that he wasn't our only child anymore. He was our oldest child. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then he forever, yeah, it was so cool. And I was like, whoa, Meg's hitting it with the wisdom. But it was, it was just so good. And that like that shift for her that each of us, when a new sibling was added, they just, you became an older child Mm -hmm. and, and that that was going to continue to evolve in the roles, Um, but that it didn't take away from their relationship. I thought it was a really cool way to look at that. That is a really cool way to look at it. And I think um, too, you know, she's seeing him as the older, older sibling. I would be so curious to know, like, how she incorporated him in having this new baby, which I think is so helpful and useful when we're adding new children to, to the family that we see that, that they're, yes, their role has shifted and they are going to come and be an even more active and they have a really important role in this family. Now, now you're big brother, your big sister and that you know, that, that I think is really special. I'm a big sister. So like I, I can reflect on that personally of how special it is and how wonderful it is to be a big, to be a big sister and the responsibility that comes along with that. And I think when we teach our children that, and we model that, and we make that like the energetic feel of the home, wow, we raise collaborative kiddos who work together instead of competitive children, you know, really just collaborative helpful kids who want to be supportive of each other and of the family as a whole, you know? Totally. Yeah. That was actually one of the questions we got from our village was how do we, she's this woman said she grew up in a household where siblings weren't expected to get along. They were almost expected to fight. And uh, she was like, that's all I knew. And it was sharing that she doesn't have close relationships with her siblings. siblings, Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And that she wants to cultivate something else in her household Mm. and was asking like, how do I kickstart that from the beginning? What does this look like bringing the older sibling into that older sibling role in a collaborative, empathetic manner? Mm, gosh. Well, there is a, a whole book written on the topic that I would highly recommend families that have more than one child read. And it doesn't matter. You can start implementing these strategies right away. It's called Siblings Without Rivalry. Um, it's by Adele Farber. And um, I have it right here. Elaine, I don't know how to say her last name, but the same authors who wrote um, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. So a real staple, um, a real parenting staple. But one of the things that, that they talk about is, you know, parents, parents guiding and then getting out of the way. So children are going to fight and having siblings is kind of like, a microcosm for what the real world is like. And children need to learn through their siblings' relationships how to be assertive and domineering 
and also how to back down and how to, you know, kind of let somebody else win, if you will. All of these are really important social skills that when you have multiple children in a family, it becomes a place for children to really work that out. Now, what I see in my practice um, and in my experience with families, one of the biggest causes for sibling rivalry is parents hopping in and separating the children, parents um, ignoring um, the child's, the children like the parents not giving the children tools to figure out how to solve problems together. So in other words, the parents do all the problem solving. I find that that is really a big source of competition. And then the final one that I see very often is um, comparing the children. So, well, um, I see that Johnny ate all of his food and Tessa hasn't eaten anything. Good boy, Johnny, you're going to be the one who gets a cookie today. All of those things really foster um, a lot of negativity between, between children, and children don't like to see themselves compared in this negative light. Um, I know in my experience, um, there was a lot of competition in the household, but it was also mirrored in our society. Um, so I was a very... Um, you know, as you could probably imagine, outgoing, kind of (laughs) overachieving type of kiddo who like (laughs) got straight A's when as soon as A's became a thing. And my sister, who was 13 months younger than me, um, which that's tough to be 13 months apart, as you could probably imagine. Um, My sister, she'll, she'll, she'll tell you this today. She feels like she lived in my shadow. There wasn't anything that she could do. Teachers were always comparing her to me. Well, why don't you do like your sister? Why can't you get marks like your sister? Blah, 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 blah. I mean, it got to the point where my mom, like she had to make sure that my sister didn't have the same teachers that I had because the societal expectations around making siblings competitive was really um, quite a problem. So I would say parents can do a couple of things. So parents can be mindful of comparing their, comparing their kiddos. Try to bite your tongue if you feel like you are wanting to compare one child to the other. And that starts right away, right? Oh, well, Johnny, Johnny started crawling at nine months. Why isn't Tessa crawling? You know what I mean? So, so like those kinds of things. I mean, it starts really subtly, but it starts young. So we want to be mindful of our comparing. Um, also, too, really encourage your children to solve problems. So one of my favorite lines is whether I'm – I know we have non-parents listening, too. So if you're at a school, I see two friends who have a problem. And if you're at home, oh, I see a brother and a sister who are having a problem. And then depending on the children's age, we want to support them through the problem solving process. My rule of thumb is two-year-olds need choices, three-year-olds need a little bit of guidance, and four and up can really take the problem solving process on their own. Um, And so, you know, if I have two particularly, you know, rambunctious kiddos who have a really big problem, I would pop in and say, hey, I see Tessa and Jordan. Hey, you guys are having a problem. How do you guys want to solve this problem? If they can figure out a dialogue together, I see my job is done and I'm going to step back. I'm not even going to try to, you know, execute the problem solving. It's up to the children to execute the problem solving. So I think for us as parents, if we can allow, you know, allow problem solving process to happen and then get the heck out of the way, we're, we are really going to encourage this more collaborative 
um, atmosphere instead of that competitive atmosphere. Even in non-conflict, non-conflicts, we can still do this. Like, okay, we have to go in five minutes. Johnny and Tessa, I want you guys to work together to put your toys away and go get your shoes on and meet me by the door. So instead of first person to get me to meet me at the door gets an extra cookie tonight, that's competition. Do you hear the difference between the co- the competitive totally. language and the collaborative? Where the, the the strategy is, oh, let's make let's make this transition fun and quick and easy peasy. But the language and the message that we send in that, I think, can really also make a big difference in just the general like uh, attitude and feel of the home. Yeah. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this can even start, I know we have some folks who maybe have like a four-year-old and then you're having a newborn. And so mm-hmm. your problem solving, it might seem like, oh, well, the newborn's not going to be able to be a part of that for down the, till down the road. I think bringing the four-year-old or the three-year-old or whomever into this right from the get-go, I, um, our sleep consultant and the sleep program director for Seed mm-hmm. has, she had a four and a half-year-old when her newborn was born. And she would consistently like her newborn would be crying and the four-year-old would almost go into like a, how do we fix this mode? And she would look to her daughter and say, I don't know what he needs. What do you think? Let's think about it. And just bringing her into it, you know? And, and sometimes this meant the four-year-old would go and get his pacifier or would go and get him something that to engage with, but she got to be a part of it. Um, Absolutely. And that is a great example of activating the problem solving process with young children and bringing them into the problem solving process. I mean, we, we can, we can probably list hundreds of different scenarios throughout the day mm-hmm. where we might have a problem. If something's missing, oh, I have a problem. Oh, now we need to go dig and try to find it together. Or, you know, depending on the child's age, what do you think? Okay. We can't find the spoon. Hmm, I wonder, what do you think we should do? 
And it's something, something as simple as that, really priming our children's brains to be problem solvers really helps support a healthy, collaborative, emotional environment between between children, instead of seeing each other as, instead of seeing each other as my competition, I'm seeing you as my partner to help me, you know, get through life a little bit easier. And I think there's something so beautiful about sending that kind of message. Don't you think? Absolutely. I am here for like automation, for anything that I can take off of my to-do list so that I don't have to remember it or keep track of something. I will do subscribe and save if that's an option. I love when things are just delivered to my house. I don't have to think about them. So I'm super jazzed to share our newest podcast sponsor with you, Pandia Health. You get to skip the trip to the pharmacy each month for birth control and get free delivery with bonus free goodies. You never have to run out of birth control again. You get Pandia Health peace of mind. Pandia Health makes sure that nobody runs out of birth control on their watch because it's delivered to your house. You don't have to go anywhere. You get free delivery of your birth control pills from Pandia Health, the only women-founded, women-led, doctor-founded, and led company in birth control delivery. I'm here for all of that, my friends. If you have an active prescription at a pharmacy and insurance to cover the medications, Pandia Health's delivery, automatic refills, reminder to see your PCP each year, services are free. With a capital F, y'all, I'm here for free services. If you need a doctor consultation because you wanna change pills or methods, or you don't have an active prescription, it's just $29 once a year to access Pandia Health's expert, passionate doctors for the next 364 days. You save the trip to the pharmacy each month, you save the trip to the doctor to get your birth control prescription, Pandia Health can deliver to all 50 states. They take almost all private insurance, but not Kaiser. They do take family packed. You can enter code Voices of Your Village and get $5 off the doctor consultation if needed. Pandia Health is about care, convenience, and confidentiality. Go to Pandia Health, P A N D I A H E A L T H dot com and sign up now. Pandia Health is the Greek goddess of healing, light, full moon. Pan means every, dia means day. And y'all, the convenience of this all, please, I'm here for it. PandiaHealth.com, use called Voices of Your Village to get $5 off the doctor consultation if needed. PandiaHealth.com. And I think one thing to pay attention to is this idea of fairness, which I think can come up. Mm. Even like uh, we were at a birthday party recently and the the parents had also gotten presents for the other kid to open and so that it would be fair. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, interesting. I don't think it all has to be fair. We can bring, say, Jackson into like, yeah, we're celebrating Sam's birthday today. And, th- and then there are days that we're celebrating Jackson and Jackson's birthday. And that not every step of the way has to be this like fairness. And I don't, I don't think that fairness is actually a thing in that sense anyway, mm-hmm. but that it's okay to teach them how to be in that supportive role and not feel like they need to have it too at all times. Oh, wow. Yeah, girl. I mean, you are so right on here. I, 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 I also have 
reservations around the idea of fairness because from a child's perspective, yes, they they want fairness, but part of our job as parents is to prepare our children for what life is like. And I think it would be hugely important for children to learn how to feel safe and how to soothe themselves, even in moments where life isn't fair, where something doesn't feel fair. I think that would be just critical for, for a child. And if that, if the dose of that is in a birthday party where I don't get, I don't get a present, but I get to watch my, my brother open a present, then I would see our job as parents is to help our children get through whatever emotions that may bring up, even if it's not the emotions we would wish, right? We'd probably wish for our child to want to support the, support the sibling and be happy for the sibling. But if in the reality, you know, a child isn't so happy, then, oh, wow, I see. This is really hard for you. You really wish that it was your birthday. Let's look on the calendar and see when your birthday is. And we'll think about what we're going to do for your birthday party, you know, as an example, to really make it a learning opportunity to teach our child. I just think it's such an, such an unfair precedent for the child to think that everything is always going to be fair and equal. Yeah, good luck. You know? <laughs> good luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know totally. what I mean? I'm totally. with you. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, I want to go back a little bit to like, you are freshly postpartum with your second, third, fourth kid, whatever. Mm -hmm. And now you might be seeing some emotional responses or behavioral responses from an older kiddo. Totally. Very common. Yeah. So let's speak to that, like where it's coming from, how we can best support those, those tiny humans. So it's kind of like the idea, um, imagine like your husband, for example, bringing home a new wife. And you're in the background, you're still there, but everybody's fawning over this new wife and how specially she is, how, how good she smells and everyone wants to hold her and everybody wants to be present with her. I would not be in the background. <laughs> and that's exactly how our kids feel, right? They're like, I will not be forgotten. And so what we tend to see on a psychological level, because it is a massive transition for everybody, our children included. So what we tend to see is that children's um, attachment systems get a little distressed as all of our attachment systems do when we are distressed. And what do we do when we're feeling stressed out? We, we act it out. Now, as adults, most of us have learned how to process and, and have at least learned how to be able to talk about what's going on emotionally for us. And we, can, we have some ability to verbalize what's happening internally. Young children, for the most part, don't really know how to do that. Um, it's, it's a learned skill, I should say. And so what we'll see is that sometimes they will become physically aggressive. They may say, okay, all done right? All done thinking the baby's <laughs> going to go home now. All done, baby. Bye-bye. You know, or they might even feel real feelings of jealousy, um, especially if they see that baby is nursing and they see the closeness and the bond and, you know, the mama is holding the baby, caressing the baby, um, or it doesn't even have to be nursing. It could be giving the baby a bottle, but all the nurturing and all the soothing, et cetera, that happens when we're feeding, when we're present with a newborn in that way can really trigger a sense of, 
well, what's my new place? And what am I supposed to be doing here? And I better make sure that I'm remembered. And so maybe I need to yell a little bit louder so my mom, so my mom hears me, or maybe I need to you know, hit so I can make sure that my mom, my mom attends to me, right? These, you know, the kids are, I don't really believe that children are, that children like hit or aggress toward their little sibling because they have malicious, dark, evil, negative feelings toward their children, toward toward their siblings. I don't believe that at all. I think children by nature are actually quite good. I think it's because they are trying to understand um, exactly the gravity of this situation in front of them. And it gets too big and they, you know, the front part of their brain shuts down and the primal part of their brain acts out. And so we see those little Neanderthal features come out and here we are. And I also think too, we parents, we respond in really big activated ways when the older child behaves in, a, in any kind of aggressive way. And we're, we're actually hypervigilant. You know, if the child goes to reach in, to, to, the, to, the, to the newborn's head, for example. We're very hypervigilant. Oh, don't touch her head. So there's this very strong reaction from a, ch- from a toddler's perspective or a preschooler's perspective. Huh, wow, mom never reacted that way when I went to touch her head. It's very interesting to me that she reacts this way when I go to touch the, the new baby's head. So let me do it again and just make sure I'm understanding this is the new precedent. And then as the child gets older, well, I need to understand why. Like, why is this the case? I don't, I just don't understand. And so I think if we make it, um, if we first of all see this as developmental norms, not again, not a reflection of the goodness of our child, not a reflection of our parent, our own parenting, but instead develop developmental norms, we can actually speak to the feelings and the needs underneath it. Oh, I see. You are really wanting to connect with baby too. You're reaching out to touch her head. Mommy feels a little scared when you try to touch her head because her head is still soft. Here, you can touch her hand. Her hand is a really safe place. Or how about her toes? She likes it when you touch her toes. So in a really gentle, compassionate way, I can actually honor what my child is trying to do, speak to that a little bit, and then give my child a little direction. This is going to give them confidence that they can connect and bond with this baby and they can be a part of this process. And I also think it's going to invite us as parents to be pretty mindful of how we are responding and our own sense of hypervigilance that's necessary, let me be real. But that hypervigilance that we have to protecting this child, we want to be cautious to not send this message that this newborn needs all the protection and this child, this toddler is a threat to this newborn's safety. That I think is where we really kind of need to walk the line a little bit and be, be cautious and mindful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm here for all that. And I love the word trust here. Even just today, a friend was over and her three-year-old was here and her three-year-old wanted to snuggle in and do like noses with me. Mm -hmm. And her mom was like, don't lick Alyssa's face. And and, and she looked at her mom and I was like, yeah, babe, you can snuggle in and do noses, but please don't lick my face. And she's coming in and her mom's like on edge. 
And I said, I trust you not to lick my face. And she came in, she snuggled and did noses and it shocked her. And she was like, it like gave a zap. And she uh -huh, was like, oh, yeah. what just happened? And then we got to engage in that. And then she was coming back for more to see if it would continue to like shock her. Uh -huh. And um, <laughs> But every time she would like come in and I would see a mom like tense up, I would just let her know, I trust you not to lick my face. Never once did she lick my face. But even just, I think, letting kids know, I trust you. Mm -hmm. I trust you to tickle her toes and to help keep her safe, to yeah. help take care of her. Um, yeah. yeah, bringing them into that. I think that word itself could be so yeah. powerful. I trust you and I'm here to help you. Mm -hmm. You know, I think also sending that message because, you know, they're going to make mistakes and they're going to do things impulsively, et cetera. So I trust that that you're learning and I'm here to help you and I'm here to support you and I'm here to guide you. And I think all of those things are really hard to do in the moment, especially when we have a newborn, especially in those first six months. I mean, the first six months are so freaking gnarly and such a daze and like, what the hell is happening? You know what I mean? Like, you just kind of feel like <laughs> so... So yeah, it's cold. A fog. It's such a yeah. fog. It's just your brain is is like shattered in the first six months. Um, even up, I would say it could even go on for the first year. You just feel really like not not like yourself. So I want to also just acknowledge that and how um, important a village is is when you're adding children um, to a family, when you're growing a family, ensuring that you have somebody who can meet your needs because now you are responsible for meeting the needs of lots of, of a whole new life. And you are continuing to meet the needs of your child. And I think that, that that's really, that's a lot um, for one person. So we have to make sure that we have our village really there backing and holding and providing a nice holding space and containing space for us so that we can, you know, keep moving on with what we're doing. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's so much we could talk about in the village itself postpartum and learning to ask for help and not feeling responsible for monitoring other people's boundaries. But, uh, I, I think what came up for me just now when you were talking, when you were saying and helping them to learn again with Rachel, who has the four and a half year old mm -hmm. and, um, and she's now five, we mm -hmm. were there for new, right around new year's and, Abel's now nine months and, and Nora's just turned five and Nora loves to play with Abel and they're like playing together and they're all into it and then he had fallen over on their wood floor while they're playing and he got hurt and she just mm. looked over kind of in a panic to mom and mom just turned to her and said I trust that you weren't trying to hurt him and she's like he fell over you were playing and he fell over we can give him some snuggles but just started with, I trust that you weren't trying to hurt him. Like right off the bat, I know your intention wasn't malicious, was the message yeah. that she received. I was like, gosh, mm. it's so powerful. That is really powerful. I'm going to keep that one in my brain. <laughs> such a good one. So good. Yeah. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes I'll wear my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. So the last question that we got here was, what are some like concrete tools to support older kiddos as we're moving in, like both telling kids about a growing babe if you're sick in that first trimester, hello, um, and you're all of a sudden like, ooh, I'm not playing the same role in life as I Mm -hmm. would have been. Um, Or even down the road, as you were saying, you're like exhausted third trimester. Mm -hmm. And then coming into postpartum, how to support kiddos uh, with some concrete tools, visual aids, or even just language that's helpful Mm -hmm. uh, as we're entering into this essentially a what to expect for the sure well um there are some good books that um you know depending on your family structure you might i would encourage parents to get um some books about adding new children to the family um i find books are a really a really great place for children to process and make sense of the different changes that are that are happening Mm, tiny human books Sorry, yes. tiny human books. Got it. Sorry. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Okay, cool. Ch- children's books, yeah, books cool. that are written for children about adding, um, adding in siblings. Um, so that would be a good place to start. Um, and then I think, you know, to, you, the way that we would talk and dream about this child, really let, really let your child, your, your other children in on that experience, talking about what things we want to do with, with our, with the, with the new sibling and what, what things are we looking forward to? And then also I think talking about the reality, you know, so mommy is going to be going away for however many days, depending on whatever your birth plan is, mommy is going to be going away. Um, it's going to feel unexpected if we're not having a scheduled cesarean, it's going to feel unexpected. Um, mommy and daddy are or, or whoever's parents are going to do the best that they can to let you know ahead of time. But here's the plan. When baby, whoever is coming, um, grandma or whoever it is, is going to come over to the house and she's going to stay with you. Or you're going to go and have, have a couple days at grandma's house. And then when it's time for you to meet the new baby, they're going to bring you up. So notice how, you know, I'm trying to use language that's appropriate for the child. Um, I'm giving them the, the concrete steps of what is going to happen so that there is some kind of predictability. And then, um, you know, something that I think is nice, this is 
this is going to sound contradictory to what we just said, um, especially with the gifts. But I do think it, it can be helpful to have a gift for your older child from the baby. Um, like a, like a welcome gift. Like, I'm so excited to meet you, big brother. I'm so excited to meet you, big sister. I can't wait to be able to play with you and to get to know you. Um, I think that can feel really good for, for a child and help them feel like there's something shared between the two of them already. Um, and then, uh, once we transition into the home, I think being realistic with the child about what what mommy is currently capable of and having when folks come over inviting them to engage with the older sibling I think is really useful. I didn't even know how useful it was until my best friend had a child and she had her second child her they were six years apart so when i when i came to the house the newborn was only four days old and her older kiddo was six and i had known this older kiddo since he was eight months old he was the ring bearer in my wedding a very very good friends of mine and so i get over to the house and you know i'm kind of like she gives me the baby to hold the baby and i'm like I'm holding a four day old baby like this this feels this feels nice, but like I don't really feel that this is my my role or my job right now. like you need to be nursing your baby and so I gave her her baby back and I was like, you you nurse, let me play with him a little bit and we ended up playing for forty five minutes and just had a blast and it all felt very natural and very normal to me and then afterwards, she sent me a message and she goes, "I want to let you know that out of all the people in my life." you offered the most help for me in the first couple of weeks of my, my life with, with this newborn. Nobody offered to come over and to take care of him and to play with him. And it felt like I still had to maintain that even though I was recovering from birth and, and taking care of this new baby. And I realized there, wow, what a gift it is to, to take that, a little, take that cold, older kid out, like go get him some ice cream or or maybe, you know, spend some really quality time with him so that mom can really spend quality time with this new baby and get to know the baby. We'll be, we will have so much time. I tell parents this all the time. We will have so much time to bond together as a family, but really the first 40 days are mommy baby time. Mom, mom and baby need to be together, need to bond, get the hang of however we're feeding. Mommy needs to freaking recover. She (laughs) should not be running around chasing a toddler, which she will inevitably do, but like minimal, minimal amount of that for, for mama. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know. Does that feel, does that feel like concrete enough tips? Totally. Okay. Totally. And I, we had a friend who made like, uh, like a book, like a little social story mm-hmm. that highlighted essentially what you were saying, like they, they would go to grandma's house and they would whatever, so that they could reference that whenever they wanted to. Absolutely. And then we talk in our village a lot about using a visual schedule for mm-hmm. kiddos of like, what's coming next? So mm-hmm. now that there's this baby in the mix, like, am I still going to school tomorrow? Like, how is the structure of my day changing yeah. now that Maybe mom used to go to work and now when I leave for school, she's still here with that baby and that can feel confusing. So I think incorporating and maintaining the visual schedules for the older kiddos to be able to reference and know what to expect. 
That's really good. I love, um, I love visual schedules and I love that in your village, you guys are talking about that. Visual schedules are really, really useful. Um, who's going to be taking care of me today? Who's going to be taking me where? What appointments do I have to do? Does this mean I need to get shots because I'm going to the doctor's office too? I mean, all of those questions can be answered really effectively through a visual schedule. My only um, like caveat for that is um, I would want um, the other caregiver um, totally. to be to be in charge of that visual schedule, especially in the first six months, um, because I I what I'm trying to communicate is there's already so much mental load for for the mom that one more additional mental load, especially one like that that may not seem like an absolute priority in the moment but it's so effective and so helpful could go by the wayside. And, um, it would just, I, I, so I would encourage families to really assign that to the, you know, to the, to the other parents role, the parent, the parent who's not like going to be mainly with, with the child. Yeah. I think that that's fantastic advice mm-hmm. too. Pawn off whatever you can because there's so much you can't. <laughs> so much, yes. Especially in the in the first forty days, the woman just she just needs to recover, yeah. and as little as she can think about, uh, the better. Really. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing we didn't have on here, but that popped up for me was uh, also to be mindful of keeping as much routine and not adding new things. So like I had a parent reach out recently that was like, oh, well, we had planned on pulling our child's pacifier by three, but the baby's coming like right before our third birthday. I was like, don't touch that pacifier, like (laughs) that coping tool. And and to be able to maintain uh, as much routine for that other kiddo as possible, I think is key. Yeah. Yeah. It's helpful. Um, like potty training is like, is another one, another good example of like, we wouldn't want to potty train right before a new baby comes because that baby, your, your older child's going to see the the baby being diapered and is, is it's also quite common to see, you know, little regressions, you know, to see your toddler want to, you know, maybe your full on talking toddler suddenly sucking their thumb and talking gibberish. Um, it's not that anything is wrong with your child. It's that your child is, is curious. Is this, is, I see the baby is, is getting lots of feedback when he or she does that. So should I also be doing that too? And I think we can respond really sensitively. Oh, you're wondering what it was like when you were a baby and you, you're wondering if you're still mommy's baby, you are always mommy's baby. You will always be mommy's baby. Even when you're big. Even when you're grown up, you will still always be mommy's baby. Forever and ever. <laughs> so yeah. you can, we can really speak to that instead of, oh, don't act like a baby, you know. Oh, mm-hmm. you're, you're a big brother. You're supposed to be modeling good things for your, for your baby sister, right? That, that's that competitive language. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm now putting way too much responsibility on that older child. We're going to do so much if I can just see where my child is at emotionally and speak and respond to where my child is emotionally. I very rarely think about a child's age. Instead, I think, how old does this child feel to me right now? Mm-hmm. And then that is how I respond to it, to my child. And I would encourage families to, to adapt that kind of, 
that kind of um, philosophy or mentality when you're with your when you're with your child because these regressions or infantilization, however, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it, is going to um, it's going to surface at some point with um, with having a new baby in the home. And so you can ask yourself, oh, how old does my child feel right now? My child is, you know, sucking on his thumb. I wonder if he wants to be held and rocked like a baby. Maybe I can kind of rock and cradle him and sing him some songs to really get that need met for him. And then he can feel that and move forward with his life. It's not babying our children as much as it is meeting their need. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. We have a visual that is a part of our emotion coaching guide and circulates, but it's um, the series of circles and its behavior. And then the secondary emotion, a root emotion and at the core an unmet need. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's like our basis off of uh, where we, where we go for emotion coaching. So you're speaking yep. right to our villages part right now. Uh, it's all familiar for them. Uh, and even down to like, I remember when I was teaching preschool at one point, this family had just had a new kiddo and their four-year-old was in my class. And mom was like, oh my gosh, getting out the door was such a pain this morning. He wouldn't even zip his jacket. He wouldn't put his own shoes on. He's not doing anything for himself. Mm-hmm. And just like coaching her through this exact thing that you were just nailing, that maybe it's not even baby talk. Maybe they're asking for you to support them through these everyday things that even you're going to look at yourself as mom, you might feel overwhelmed by doing the dishes right now because there's so much going on and there's so much Mm -hmm. transition, even though you know how to do the dishes and it doesn't feel like a big deal for you to do the dishes right now. It feels like a big deal for you to do the dishes, Bravo! like a big deal for them to zip up. Yes. (laughs) That is a fabulous analogy. Can I steal it? Yeah, go right ahead. Oh yeah, that's a good one. I love that analogy. Yes, yes. You are really, you are dropping some good truth bombs right now. (laughs) It's fun to chat with you about it. I love it. Um, Awesome. So can you let folks know where they can connect with you and continue? Your your Instagram's fantastic. And I love, you. you have so many helpful visuals over there. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. So my Instagram is South Bay Mommy and Me. Um, and you can sign up for my newsletter if you go to southbaymommyandme.com um, and I'll send out some different things via there. Um, and then also I do have an online course for um, raising toddlers um, and child- preschoolers ages two to five called Raising Children You Like. So if you like this more mindful, conscious gentle, you know, respectful approach or what I, I like to just call it curious and reflective mm-hmm. approach to parenting, um, then this, you know, these courses will probably really speak to you. Um, and we have, we have so many different ones. We're dropping four new courses this year. Wow. Right now we have a temper tantrum course that's out that talks all about brain development, the, you know, the science of children's behaviors and emotions and really helping, you know, my, my goal is to have, you know, to create parents, you know, who can be therapists for their children Mm -hmm. and to, at the same time, also help parents heal from their own past experiences, which that's a whole other conversation, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but really making sense of our past and how it influences who we are in this present moment and who we are as parents and does it align with who we'd like to be as parents and what shifts and changes do we need to make so that we can really live out the the parenting um, 
desires that we um that really are true and authentic for us. So that's kind of my whole approach and, you know, Beautiful. me and me in a nutshell. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, so come and enjoy, join me uh, at South Bay Mommy and me, and I would be happy to support you more there on this and tons of other topics related to motherhood and child development. That's right. And if anyone is local, where in California are you? I don't know my geography very well, but yes. where Mama's Getaway, I do an uh, annual retreat and this one is in San Diego. So we're coming to, to oh. San Diego in April. Cool. Um, so I now know where San Diego is on a map. Okay. But where so San Diego is also Southern California, yep. but I'm in, um, I'm in Los Angeles County. So it's about three hours North or so okay. two, two to three hours North, depending on traffic of San Got Diego. It. And I am particularly, because L.A. County is huge, yeah. I'm in the South Bay of L.A. County. And my, uh, that's yes, the, that's why yeah. it's South Bay, Mommy and Me. And um, it's, uh, the city is called Redondo Beach. But like you've probably heard of Hermosa Beach, Manhattan Beach, yeah. you know, Palos Verdes, like you've probably heard. It. So I'm in that whole beach cool beach community over there. And we serve the whole, all of, all of South Bay um, and South Bay families. But um, my, yeah, my Instagram and my resources are not just geared toward South Bay families. They're actually geared toward new moms and children birth to five. So I'll put out, I put out information for that whole population. Yeah, it's rad. That's rad. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was such a blast. I really, really love chatting with you. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was... Steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel 
real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep. Oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.